Welcome. You're listening to Episode 6 of The Weight Coach with Joanne Philomena from Joanne the Life Coach. Welcome back, listeners. I'm glad you made it here with me today. Today I want to talk about something a little different um, instead of a weight coaching technique Today, I wanted to talk about documentation that I've come across about the Minnesota starvation experiment. This was done over 70 years ago, towards the end of World War II. And some of the results of this experiment, wow, God, they almost sound familiar to me after a lifetime of dieting my weight up and down. Um, So I think you'll find this information pretty interesting too and see what your takeaway is from this. So 70 years ago, this experiment was done by a a physiologist, Ansel Keys, and he recruited three dozen young men who had been conscientious objectors to the war in World War II. And back in World War II, if you were a conscientious objector, you would be offered some kind of work here in country um, as part of your service. So a lot of these men were working in different work camps, doing work, but they felt like they weren't really making much of a contribution to society. And back in 1943, 1944, it was almost embarrassing to be a conscientious objector. One of the men talked about his father going around and apologizing to all the neighbors because his son wouldn't go fight in that war. So when they were offered the opportunity to do this experiment so that our country could learn more about the starvation that had been going on in Europe during the war, both the people of Europe were short on food, our own GIs were short on food, and they wanted to do this experiment to see how best to feed these people back to recovery and nutrition. Um, And I know um, personal experience because my father was in World War II. He was a tank commander. Um, They were caught unawares and captured by the Nazis and placed in Nazi prison camp. I think there were five of them, four or five of them that worked within the tank. Um, And in the prison camp, not only were they not given enough food, they weren't even given water most of the time. My father would tell stories about begging, begging for water. And one of the guards pissed in a cup and handed it to them laughing. Um, And finally, at some point, it became aware, very clear to my father that if he and his buddies didn't escape and get out of there, that they were going to die. They were going to be killed. They knew this. Um, Years later, he would refuse to watch Hogan's Heroes on TV. He wouldn't allow us to watch Hogan's Heroes because it was a comedy and he felt it made light of one of the most grueling, horrific experiences on the planet, which was being in one of those Nazi camps during the war. Um, He and three of his buddies escaped. Two of them didn't make it past the gates. My father and Willie did. In walking across Europe to try to rejoin the U.S. troops, 
um, which were by then down in Italy, uh, part of that journey, they finally found, he and Willie found a bag of dried beans, which was like gold to them, absolute gold. And one evening, late in the day, they were inside of an old barn and cooking up a pot of these beans to eat. And they still had the bag of beans. I mean, they were kind of rationing them out for themselves when they heard the planes coming. And they knew that that barn would be bombed because at that point in the war, um, every building was being leveled in Germany. So they went running out of the barn. And at the last minute, Willie said, oh, my God, our beans, and turned to run back inside for the bag of beans. And my father tried to stop him, but he ran into the barn and then the barn was bombed. Um, this was something my father couldn't even discuss until he was well in his 60s. He told me about this, um, and that's when he lost Willie. So my father's experience of starvation after the war was intense, and I knew it had changed his personality. We thought that a lot of it, of course, were the things that he had seen during the war, and walking through Europe. He did talk about coming across entire families who were strung up from the phone wires, um, father, mother, children, even the family dog, uh, horrible things. But reading this experiment it, done at the University of Minnesota, a lot of the personality changes that he experienced Sounds like they could have been a direct result of the starvation. My father, who was an honest man, honest to the point that as a kid, he had been given two cents too much and change and didn't know until he came home. His mom had sent him to the grocery to pick up some things. And the grocery was several miles and he was a little guy. And when he discovered he had two cents too much, he turned right around and walked all the way back to the grocery to give them back those two pennies. After the war... My father told me he would start taking things. He would sit in a bar, and if the man next to him left his lighter and cigarettes and on the bar and looked away, my father would pocket them and leave and then hate himself because it was like an uncontrollable urge to do that. Um, and it was something that he fought hard in the early years after the war to overcome and continued to be a very honest man for the rest of his life, but it was something in his psychology that became twisted. I want to tell you more about this experiment in the University of Minnesota. Um, the test subjects were first given every test under the sun. They wanted to make sure that they were fit enough and psycho psychologically stable enough to with to undergo this voluntary starvation. Um, they started them out on, I think, 4,000 calories. No, 3,600 calories a day. 3,600 calories a day of normal eating over several weeks as they did all the tests on them. And then when they came to the semi-starvation point in laboratory conditions, they were dropped to almost half of that. They were dropped to 1,670 calories a day. Now, I want you to think about that because most diet programs out there have you well under 
1,670 calories a day. Um, I think Weight Watchers comes in right around 1,200 calories. So does Jenny Craig. 1,200 calories was always what I was told. You should eat up to 1,200 calories a day. I'll tell you, when I was so successful with taking weight off with Weight Watchers, um, I wasn't eating all my points all the time. So I'm sure that I had a lot of days that I was well under 1,200 calories. These men were given 1,670 calories a day. Um, they became emaciated to the point that they resembled concentration camp survivors. Someone, some went a, a little nuts. Uh, it was reported that the test subjects became obsessed with food. They collected cookbooks, recipes, kitchen gadgets, and even had nightmares about cannibalism. Now, when they talk about collecting cookbooks, and some of the men who were still alive a few years ago in their 90s talked about this, and, you know, collecting cookbooks, recipes, pictures of food, really makes me wonder if this popularity of the Food Network, is it all because we've deprived ourselves so much as a society trying to diet down to an unrealistic image presented to us that we become obsessed in watching the Food Network and pictures of food and recipes. It's huge right now. Nothing gets more shares on Facebook than a nice dessert recipe with a picture of it on Facebook. So that really kind of fascinated me. They looked at food. It was documented they looked at food with almost pornographic preoccupation. They developed bizarre eating rituals and were even tempted to eat garbage. They berated people who wasted food. And until the experimenters restricted it, one man chewed up to 40 packs of gum a day. Um, I had a similar experience to that. Again, going back to the day that I was taking off weight, um, this one not so long ago, about seven years ago, I was dieting with Weight Watchers again and um, picked up sugar-free gum to help me get through my day. Because at that time, I wasn't aware of the fact that what was not being addressed for me was my beliefs and my thoughts about food. And in taking a look at my own desires and what would drive me to want food. So instead, I tried to just trick my desires and nurture them by eating cardboard diet food or chewing sugar-free gum instead of giving my body what it was really screaming for, which was like, come on, let's have a little protein and fat here, for God's sake. <laughs> and I found that with the sugar-free gum, suddenly I was chewing straight through the full pack of gum, one after the other, like obsessed with the gum. And I finally had to just stop buying it and throw it away because I would chew straight through a giant pack of sugar-free gum. So it fascinated me that this was one of the things that came up in this experiment on starvation 70 years ago, that there was a man chewing 40 packs of gum a day until they told him he couldn't do that anymore because it was messing with their experiment. Two of the subjects were briefly checked into psychiatric wards. One of them had cut off three of his own fingers with an axe. 
One of the men who was excused from the experiment had reached the point where he indicated he wanted to kill Dr. Keyes and then kill himself. Remember, this was on 1,670 calories a day. This experiment would not be able to be duplicated today. Back in the day, it met all the ethical standards of the day. And the men were truly volunteers, and they knew how hard it was going to be. They knew exactly what the experiment was going to be. They wanted to do this to help science so they could help the people who were starving in Europe recover. Um, but clearly, this cannot be repeated today by today's standards, ethical standards for experimentation. The test subjects during the starvation phase were also um, given part-time work, and they were required to walk 22 miles a week. Um, I don't know if that was a combination of just their daily walking plus spending some time on a treadmill. Cheating incidents became prevalent, so the researchers instituted a buddy system requiring that the test subjects never leave the laboratory alone. They would have to have a buddy with them so they could help each other resist breaking the diet because cheating was becoming an issue. The men would buy food or steal food to eat that was in addition to their diet, although they tried really hard. Um, one of the subjects interviewed later in life talked about he was tempted and he did everything he could to keep his mind in order. He took it upon himself like a religious exercise so that he would not go against the rules of the experiment. The most interesting thing to me is that it changed their personalities. The men eventually lost about 25% of their weight. And this was over, um, I believe it was six months that they had the reduced calories. Uh, an article I read said that they were dropping from an average of 153 pounds down to about 116 pounds, though there was a picture I came across of a wife sharing a photo of her husband at his lightest in the experience, in the experiment, and he was at 105 pounds. I saw um, doing research on the internet, various photos of these men during the experiment, and they're horrific they do look like that they've been in concentration camps. Their rib cage is well-defined. Their waist almost non-existent. Their arms uh, skeletal looking. Their hair fell out. Their skin got rough. And here's a scary one to me. Their hearts shrank in size and their pulse dropped. They constantly felt cold. They found it uncomfortable to sit on hard surfaces some of the men even began collapsing during treadmill endurance tests. Um, but think about that. Dropping the weight, and what it says from the average, the average weight drop was actually less than 40 pounds. Now, there's plenty of us out there. In the past, I've lost up to 80 pounds at a time. Their heart shrank in size. Holy cow. Oddly, their hearing improved. Um, they, I guess there was an old belief that says hunger sharpens the senses, and it, it appears so because their hearing improved, but they felt like old men. The personality side, they became withdrawn, humorless, 
One that was interviewed said he liked watching comedy, but he didn't really even laugh at it anymore. Uh, they became very possessive about their food. Boy, does that hit home. I remember, gosh, 25 years ago doing Weight Watchers, and that's back when you counted exchanges and you weighed and measured. It wasn't points then. It was food exchanges. And they had those little desserts. They were in little trays that you get a little chocolate something. And I would have those in my freezer. And at the end of the day, I would so look forward to having my, the right exchanges left in my day to have one of those little treat trays. And if I got home and we did dinner and I went to the freezer and somebody had eaten my Weight Watchers desserts, I would become, I would be unglued, unglued. Like this is the only joy in my life is looking forward to that little Weight Watcher treat after dinner. And how could you eat that? That was my only treat. I would yell at my family about it. It was horrible. In this starvation experience, this is how the men became. They, the men said not only did they lose their vitality, they lost the camaraderie that they had had early on as a group. Remember now, they started out in the lab being fed normal calories. All of them fed the same calories, normal calories. Well, they underwent testing. There was a lot of camaraderie. They became very close friends. When the calories were cut in half, that changed. It changed their personalities. They were always apologizing to each other for something they didn't mean to do. Most of them would finish their meals by licking their plates. And this really was interesting to me. When they were at their lowest weights and they were interviewed psychologically, to judge how they viewed themselves, they didn't view themselves as being too skinny. You should see the pictures. And they did not view themselves as being too skinny. But they viewed all of the workers in the lab who were at normal weight as being fat. So that entire body image perception became upside down. I think it's pervasive in our society today that our perceptions are upside down into what we view as fat as opposed to what we view as skinny. One of the men was quoted as saying, I'm so hungry I could eat anything, but I'd start on the fat staff first. Cannibalism. They had periods of elation, followed by periods of deep, deep depression. They lost interest in sex. One of the subjects, his girlfriend came to visit, and he took her out to dinner at a nice restaurant in Minneapolis just because he wanted to watch her enjoy eating the food. He couldn't eat it himself. He wanted to watch her eat it. And when the food came, she refused to eat. She probably thought, this is too cruel. I can't eat this in front of him. And he was upset with her. He was really upset because she wouldn't eat the food that he had just bought. And he was looking forward to watching her eat it. 
Once the six-month semi-starvation period was over, the men didn't get to eat whatever they wanted because they continued to live in the laboratory for the three-month rehabilitation stage. So the researchers could divide them into groups to see how different recovery diets worked and how well they recovered, trying to decide what do we need to feed people after they've been through the long periods of starvation during war. So for a year, <laughs> and this was an observation made, it was hard for them. For a year, they couldn't take a mouthful of food that hadn't been measured and weighed. And when I read that, I thought, well, welcome to Weight Watchers. <laughs> because when I was a Weight Watchers member, I didn't take a mouthful of food that hadn't been measured and weighed for more than a year. The experiment showed the men clearly needed more calories. They gave different groups different amounts of calories. The group that was at the lowest calories were really going downhill and they had to bump their calories. They finally came to a conclusion that 4,000 calories a day were needed to recover from the starvation period. High calories and high fat 4,000 calories a day were needed to recover. So that's where the body rebounded to. Is it any question that if you are trying to diet straight through willpower and not examining your own thoughts and beliefs, you go straight for the diet plan and you are going to white knuckle your way through it. And when you finally crash and burn on the diet plan, and it may be only a weekend, it may be six months later, hey, maybe you've lost over 50 pounds, but all of a sudden you just can't do it anymore. And we go to eating almost out of control. It's because our body is screaming for 4,000 calories a day to recover itself. Doesn't matter that our ribs aren't showing yet. Our body doesn't know that. When they were finally released from all restrictions because the experiment was over, um, they all had some different plans about what they wanted to eat. A couple of them were thinking um, they wanted to go to the smorgasbord. Understandable. But when they got to the restaurant, they ended up ordering food to go and took it back to the lab because they were afraid that they would overdo it eating on their own. And they wanted to make sure there would be somebody there to take care of them if they overdid it. The complete results of this study um, is documented in a 1952 volume work. It's 1,385 pages called The Biology of Human Starvation. I would wish for more of the psychological effects being documented than the physical effects being documented. Although the idea of your heart shrinking in size is pretty detrimental <laughs> to wanting to starve myself. It made these volunteers so sensitive to people who hadn't had enough food that many of them afterwards went to work in relief efforts um, they went to work for American Friends Service Committee, distributing food to refugees in the Gaza Strip. Uh, another one made a couple trips to Poland for the United Nations, transporting livestock as a seagoing cowboy. Um, and they look back at what they had done with that experiment. 
with a feeling of gratitude and a sense of accomplishment. I mean, it's something they really wanted to do. The lab, which had been dubbed the cage, was torn down with the rest of Memorial Stadium in 1992. And Dr. Keyes uh, lived to be 100. He's, he is dead now. One of the survivors interviewed well into his 90s said he always loved food. Now he's almost blind and he depends on a walker to get around. And he said in the past year, he hasn't eaten as much as he used to. He said, my hunger is finally receding now. How sad. His whole life he stayed hungry. And that's one of the things they found with these men. Once they shifted them from the starvation phase of the experiment to the recovery phase, and they were giving them plenty of calories, up to 4,000 calories, the men were still hungry all the time. They were still hungry all the time. And this is what really brought this experiment to my attention was the fact that I read that one of the observations was that they could no longer distinguish between the constant gnawing of hunger that they had during the starvation phase and normal appetite. Now, I have long been a proponent of the theory that repeat dieters are no longer in touch with what normal hunger feels like. We completely lose touch of our body signals. And that's what they found in these men. They felt hungry all the time, eating 4,000 calories a day. Think about that. Constant hunger. They could not identify normal appetite anymore. And part of what I do as a weight coach when I work with my clients is the first thing I address is starting to get them in touch with what it feels like when hunger just starts to come on because we are unaware of that as repeat dieters. We don't know when we get that little tiny sensation, that moment of feeling a little weak, a little irritable that says it's time to start fixing a meal. We don't notice until we are starving. And by then we're ready to take apart the entire refrigerator. You have to relearn where hunger begins. And then you have to learn where hunger stops. Because we think having enough food is feeling full. We even say it, are you full yet? Are you full yet? What we think is full is stuffed. Full is when the hunger signal goes away and you feel, oh, just satisfied. That's not a full belly. So if you are like me and have dieted over and over in your life, I started dieting. My first diet, I think I was about 11 years old. It was fifth grade. I remember this well. My little girlfriend and I decided we were too fat and she told me how her mommy would go on a diet. So I told my mom that every day for lunch, I just wanted her to pack me two hard-boiled eggs. And my mother said, that's not enough. And I said, okay, two hard-boiled eggs and an orange. And that's what I ate every day for lunch in fifth grade. Two hard-boiled eggs and an orange. I'm not sure if that's even 200 calories for lunch. 
for a growing child. That was my first diet. Um, I dieted again. I Later years, I think it was junior high now, I did Dr. Stillman's water diet, aging myself. <laughs> Many of you may have never even heard of Dr. Stillman's water diet. Um, it was probably about maybe 500 calories a day. And those calories were predominantly protein, um, no carbs, and drinking lots of water. And I, you know, I lost weight doing that. I also lost a lot of the connective tissue between my ribs. This was identified in my early 30s when I had a doctor do a really complete physical exam. And he looked at a chest x-ray and he said, when were you held in a concentration camp? And I said, oh my God, never. And he said, when did you diet severely? And I said, oh, which time? <laughs> and he showed me, he showed me on my own x-ray, the connective tissue missing between my ribs. And he said, you know, your body never replaces that. It doesn't get rebuilt again. Your body savaged it for the minerals that were stored there because you weren't eating enough. Did that change me then? No, no. It didn't. I went on in my 30s to lose 80 pounds with Weight Watchers and regain it again. And then I lost 60 pounds and regained that. And another time in my life, 40 pounds and regained that. And then I lost 60 pounds again and regained that. And finally, finally through coaching my own thoughts, managing my thoughts, teaching myself to be back in touch with my body's signals, teaching myself how to normalize food again in my life. Pounds are dropping off. It's not dropping off as fast as it would be if I starved myself, but it feels really natural. It feels very satisfying to know that I can be at peace with food. I can eat at peace with food. I treat my body well. I don't punish it by eating too much food weight is coming off and I feel wonderful. And that's the way it should be. Don't sign yourself up for the Minnesota starvation experiment. Be sane with this people. So it's an interesting story. Uh, there was an article in the Huffington Post. Um, if you would like it, email me, I'll get the link out to you. You can email me and reach me at joanne at joannethelifecoach.com, and that's J-O-A-N-N. -N. You can check out my website at joannethelifecoach.com. Thank you for listening today. Now, enjoy your day. Until next time. <laughs>